Hey everyone, this is Robert Poole with the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. This episode is a continuation of the last episode where we talked about the importance of having the right clients and how to attract them. The episode starts right off uh, where I left off in the last episode, so if you haven't listened to the last episode, it may not make as much sense, so I'd recommend you do that. Let's get started. Do you have a small business that sells to other businesses? If so, you probably know that there are plenty of resources for companies that market to consumers or companies that sell to large and Fortune 500 type of companies. But what about the small businesses in the middle who sell to other companies? Where do we go to get answers? How do we grow our company consistently while still keeping our sanity? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who aren't willing to settle for just a 9-to-5 job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe, and welcome home. So this is a lot of negatives so far, and I think you'll probably agree it's a bad idea to take on the wrong clients, but you know, how do we go about finding the right ones? I think we have to take a couple of simple but important steps to attract the right clients. First, we have to keep in mind that not only are we trying to attract the right clients, but we also want to repel the ones we don't want. And if you don't intentionally set up your marketing to repel those you don't want, they're going to come to you and you're going to constantly be tempted to take on those wrong clients. Repel them and you only have to deal with customers you actually want. So the first step is defining our ideal clients or customers. And like I said, we need to have far more qualifications just, to, you know, other than their ability to pay and use our product. When we say ideal clients, the first thing people think of is demographics. For instance, you know, we want companies that have between five and 100 employees doing two million plus in revenue or whatever uh, in the manufacturing industry, and they're located in the Western U.S. I mean, that's a starting point is necessary, but it's not the most important part. The most important is who you're dealing with, meaning the decision maker and what they're all about. The decision maker is really who you, your ideal client is, your customer, not the company. The decision maker represents the company, so targeting them is how you sell to a company. You know, this may be an owner, a purchasing manager, a department head, you know, whoever. I mean, it depends on your particular business. But once you have that decision maker identified with the company demographic, you have to look at the psycho demographics more than the actual demographics. You know, it can matter if you target, you know, decision makers in their 20s and, or their 50s, but it matters more what's in their head, how they look at the world and where they go to get their info, their mentality when it comes to your solution, what's important to them, you know, what are their fears, what motivates them, etc. I mean, those are the things that you want to focus on. The other stuff is just background. And in my opinion, you need to spend a lot of time on this part. If you don't define this well, you're going to end up with the wrong clients. You know, in our company, we've gone so far as to create our customer avatars, meaning we have two fictitious clients named Chuck and Sandy. We use both of them defining what they're like, what's important to them, and all those things. You know, whenever we uh, do something, we review our decisions about what direction we're going and how we want to serve our clients. Uh, and we do it by thinking, well, what would Chuck think of this uh, new feature or service that we're adding? Would he find it useful? What would Sandy think about this strategy we're about to implement? You know, it's this level of detail that's important. And, you know, you don't have to make this a big deal, but just start out brainstorming what you know about the average customer of yours. I mean, it's a moving target, you know. Uh, that way, you know, you constantly ha can be updating it as, you know, the business world changes, society, you know, the situation. So that's the number one thing we do is get clarity on who our ideal clients and customers are. With this ideal client in mind, it makes it a lot easier to do the other steps. I mean, next, if we find a prospect that comes to us and they don't fit the profile, you know, be polite and decline them as a client. Your staff will appreciate it. Your company will grow faster. 
I mean, it's not personal. It's just the best thing for you and the prospect to stop the relationship before going further because it just uh, won't end well. I mean, this is very tough to do sometimes, but you have to hold fast and discipline yourself and your team to do this. Next, we need to design all of our marketing materials and sales messages to get to the emotions of our ideal profile of a client. And at the same time, make those messages so the wrong clients will have no interest in your product or service. For example, if you position your product as the premium choice in the marketplace, which I highly recommend, I mean, I did a whole podcast on that, in fact, and you make it clear in your sales messages that you're not the low-cost option and your solution fits those who aren't obsessed with low prices, you know, guess who you're going to repel? Well, obviously, those who are looking for a bargain, that are price shopping and don't have the budget and so on. If you don't want those people as clients, that's a great way to attract the right ones and repel the, the wrong ones. The next thing to do to attract the right customers is to target them specifically in your marketing. Be very narrow in your marketing and advertising. If you cast a wide net, you're going to catch every fish in the sea, not just the big dollar swordfish or whatever. I'm not a fisherman, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. It's much better to target a list of maybe 2,500 companies in the U.S. that you could do business with than 25,000. I mean, everybody thinks, well, you know, if I advertise to more people, I'll get more leads. Well, that's true. You'll get more leads and you have to wade through them all to find your ideal clients and you're wasting an enormous amount of money and time advertising to the wrong people. Once you've defined your clients very specifically, figured out your sales message and tailored it to them and set up your marketing advertising to target them specifically and repel others, the last step is to simply find out where they're congregating. You know, Russell Brunson, the Internet Marketing Guy, does a great job of explaining this and emphasizing this, but basically in a nutshell, he says, you know, go to where your ideal clients already are and market to them there. For instance, if you know that your ideal clients are on LinkedIn and use it frequently, where do you think you should market? On LinkedIn, you know, um, and, you know, even further than that, what groups are they part of on LinkedIn and market to those groups? Social media is very easy these days to identify where people's interests lie. So what do you do if your customers or clients are not big users of social media in general? I mean, social media advertising is all the rage in the marketing world, but not everyone's there. For our company, we've done internal surveys and only about 20 percent of our clients use social media actively and for business. So they don't congregate there. You know, your customers may be different. If they're not online as much or or more old school, let's say, you know, where else do they hang out, so to speak? For our company, a lot of our clients listen to podcasts, which, you know, is one of the reasons I chose this medium for my message. You know, maybe your customers and clients do a lot of trade shows or they read books or they go to association meetings. You just have to figure out where they already are instead of wasting money and effort marketing everywhere. So I think those are the most important steps in acquiring your ideal clients. But what if you're an existing company and didn't necessarily start with these steps? I mean, that's the case for a lot of businesses. I know it was probably the first 15 years of our business that we took everyone and anyone who could pay. And, you know, we paid a price for that. It's only in the last five years or so that we started to turn this around. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, even after working on this for five plus years, we still aren't 100% of having just ideal clients. I mean, we still have one, some that we need to get rid of and transition out. Why? Well, if you've ever tried doing it, it's hard. Simple as that. I mean, if you've had a customer or client that's been paying you for five years, even if they're a major pain and you know they aren't an ideal client, not easy to fire them. I mean, number one, understand and realize it's going to take time and don't beat yourself up or feel like you have to get rid of 80% of your clients overnight. It's a process that'll take time and you're probably never going to be 100% in the ideal client arena. But if you can start from here and moving forward, take on the right clients, that's the right direction. I mean, if you're running a business that's been around for a while and, you know, it's akin to an ocean liner doing a 180 degree turn, 
you know, it's little moves that are going to take time, you know, unlike a brand new business that uh, moves like a speedboat and can turn on a dime. I mean, let's be realistic here. So how do we actually start the process of pairing back our non-ideal clients? I think the first step is really just identifying the clients or customers that, you know, don't fit the profile of your ideal client. You know, probably off the top of your head, you can name three or four that are a super pain that you'd love to get rid of today. You know, after that, it takes a little bit more analysis. If you have a fairly small number of clients, I'd say, you know, like a few hundred or whatever, at most, uh, you can literally print out a list and go through it with your customer service people or your team and mark off ones who should go and even prioritize who should go first. You know, if you have, you know, more clients than a few hundred, you know, you got a thousand or more or something, then you need to segment them as a group based upon different metrics. You can't do it by hand necessarily. For instance, maybe you can isolate the bottom 10 in terms of spending, you know, or the highest 10% in terms of inbound customer service calls and complaints. I mean, something is based upon a metric that gives you an idea of who they are. You know, either of these easy? Well, of course not. But, you know, in my mind, business should be simple, not easy. However, based upon what we talked about and the consequences of having too many of the wrong customers and clients, it's definitely worth the effort to go through this process. You know, the next step is figuring out how many you can reasonably lose before you kill your revenue so much that it handicaps your company. You know, that might be 5% right off the bat. Maybe it's 25%. It just depends on your company. From this point, it's really a priority situation. I mean, knock off what you can without affecting your revenue substantially. Then the next step is to slowly replace the remaining ones that you have that you want to get rid of over time. For instance, if you get five new customers or clients, uh, you might feel that you can get rid of three wrong ones and still grow a net of two clients. Again, only you can figure that out. Okay, so this is all great in theory, but how do we actually do it at a practical level? Again, there's no easy solution or silver bullet, but here's some ideas that we've used that have worked for us. I mean, first, uh, you can price them out of your service. If you have a service or a product that the prices are not publicly available and clients generally don't know what everyone else is paying, you can choose to raise raise the prices only on those you want to dump. I mean, this worked great for clients who are very price sensitive and, you know, those you probably don't want anyway. I mean, these clients literally fire themselves. You know, it's an easy way to do it with these types. Next, you can make changes to their product or service, even their account. You know, think about things that'll discourage them from staying around. You might change the features of your service for them only or require things that you know they won't agree to. And you have to kind of use your imagination on that one and tread lightly. But another one you can do is, you know, I hate to, you know, recommend this, but do a poor job of communicating on purpose. I mean, if you have great customer service, which I hope we all do, and do a good job of keeping in contact with your clients, one way to do this is to slowly back off on the communication. Doesn't mean you have to give them bad customer service when they call in. It just means that you aren't, you know, necessarily as aggressive in trying to stay in their mind and keep good rapport and constantly checking in. You know, over time, this is going to lead to attrition, just like bad customer service. Finally, there's the flat-out firing. I mean, if you need to get rid of somebody now and you don't want to wait for them to self-select, you can flat-out drop them as a customer. You can simply notify them, you know, and say something like, you know, we're going in a different direction as a company and, you know, we're changing our service for accounts like yours and so we can no longer service your account or, you know, something like that. You know, this is obviously not something you want to use if you don't have to, but sometimes it's necessary. The times we've used this is really when a client is extremely unprofessional and verbally abusive to our team and threatening and so on. You know, in those cases, you kind of have to fire them. But again, you know, you don't want to tell them, hey, you're an a-hole and, you know, go jump off a short pier. I mean, this is just going to antagonize them more and motivate them to go out of their way to badmouth you. So to circle back on what we've talked about, 
when it comes to taking on new customers and clients, it's not about, you know, whoever can pay you or even use your product. It comes down to who you want to do business with and the kind of people you want interacting with your team. Choosing to do business with the wrong people causes an enormous amount of stress in your business and, quite frankly, it's just bad for business in the long run. You have to be intentional about who you bring on by defining them extremely specifically, using the right marketing messages, and then going where they congregate. If you have some of those clients to get rid of, you know, come up with a plan to identify them. Then, you know, come up with a process to pair them from your customer list and find out the best way for them to self-eliminate themselves as a client. That's all I have for today. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable, and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform and give me your honest feedback. Also, I put together a short ebook on some of the top lessons I've learned in 20 years owning a B2B business. You can download a free copy at growyourb2bcompany.com. 